Let me really encourage you to consider joining us tonight for the installation service. Uh, it is a very important time in the life of this church. And uh, there's going to be many things happening in that service, in, including vows that will be taken by myself and by the elders. And uh, it, it's a very important thing for our church. But <clears throat> it is also, uh, it's not, the after celebration is not a party for me. It's a party for us. Uh, and that's, that's what we want to celebrate. We want to celebrate God's grace for all of us in this church. And we're really thrilled to see uh, what the Lord has been doing and will do in this next chapter. Let me invite you to open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. We've been going through our sermon series on the book of Jonah, and you can see up here on the screen our main theme is this, God runs after us when we run away from Him. What we're going to see here is that now God is running after Jonah's heart as he is going to run after our hearts here this morning. Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we are asking that you would answer what we just sang earlier. Did Christ over sinners weep and shall our cheeks be dry? We're asking that you would please answer that in a resounding no for our hearts. That we would indeed not have dry cheeks when Christ looks at sinners and weeps. But that can only happen... Lord, it can only happen if we can see and comprehend your grace. So would you show it to us? Would you reveal to us by the Spirit the love of the Father in you, Lord Jesus? We ask all this in your name. Amen. Let me ask you a question. How is your road rage? I know we live in Stillwater and we're not always getting on the interstate, but let's be honest. How is your road rage? Often what happens when a car is tailgating us for a while and then finally they have the chance to drive past us and they may or may not make a certain gesture towards us, let the reader understand. Don't, don't we just burn inside when you're like, I was going the speed limit. You're the one who's in the wrong. We can often find ourselves maybe even saying silent prayers of, Lord, let there be a police car up ahead. And then it's always really funny whenever we pull up to the light right next to them, and they really did not get anywhere. Stuff like that makes us angry. Well, why do I say that? Because actually, 
our road rage reveals to us a lot about our own hearts. The gospel doesn't merely stay in the church. It also follows us on the road. And one of the things that that can show us is this, is how different we are from Jesus. Because don't we give much more offense to Jesus by our sins, and yet how opposite he reacts to us. He does not respond to his people in that way, but whenever we see people sin, we say, Jesus, don't you see what they've done to you? Aren't you going to do something about it? It's interesting that for his people, he says, yes, matter of fact, I am going to do something about it. I'm going to apply my atoning sacrifice to them. And I'm going to totally and freely forgive them and cleanse them of all their sins. And we don't like that. Let's be honest. God's grace can be infuriating. When we really actually understand it, we might find ourselves maybe a little too similar to Jonah, and we too might be very angry at God's grace. What's happened here in the book of Jonah, in chapter 3, we see this amazing revival in the people of Nineveh as they hear Jonah's sermon and they repent, believing in the promise that God would relent. And God does relent, and that's what brings us to verse 1, where it says, but it, you got to ask the question, what is the it referring to, or what came before? It, which is two things, Nineveh's repentance, but then also the fact that God turned away from giving them disaster. And that's what made Jonah angry. I want to ask us three questions as we go through this text. First off, how does God's grace make us angry? Secondly, how does our anger against God's grace affect us? And then thirdly, how will God respond to us in our anger? How does God's grace make us angry? You see yet again there, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Maybe you have a footnote there for exceedingly, where it says in the Hebrew it means it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. That's a very good translation, actually. It says that when Jonah was displeased... It is the same word that God used, talking about how Nineveh sinned, that it was evil. And now, as God called Nineveh's sin evil, now Jonah is calling God's grace evil. Nineveh, it's very interesting, Nineveh got rid of their evil by their repentance, and God turned from the calamity, the same Hebrew word, he turned from the calamity. The only person who's harboring bitterness is Jonah. He's the, actually the only one who's harboring evil. He's, it says it displeased Jonah exceedingly. It means greatly. It's actually a word that's been used uh, over ten times in the Hebrew in this very book. We saw that word when uh, God called Nineveh a great city. It, same word, we're talking about a great wind upon the sea, a great storm. The sailor's fear of God was great. There was a great fish that came to swallow up Jonah. Even the, the, the royalty in Nineveh were considered great. And so now there's another great happening here, but it's Jonah's anger. In other words, 
It's not that Jonah has a slight disagreement with God's grace. He has a great disagreement with God's grace. When it says that, and he was angry, this is where, this is where the Hebrew language is amazing here. It literally means he was hot. He was burning up. He was, his anger was kindled. And isn't that actually what happens when we have ungodly anger? That our ungodly anger tends to burn up our faith in God's grace. And our ungodly anger, as we'll really dive into soon, our ungodly anger is typically influenced by ungodly jealousy. That's what's happening here. It's actually the same word used in uh, Genesis 4, talking about Cain and Abel, where Cain was growing in anger because he was jealous that his brother Abel, that Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God and his wasn't. Genesis 4, 7. Because of Cain's anger, it's boiling up within him, it's making him hot, God warns him and he says, look, if you don't stop, he says this, sin is crouching at your door. That picture of crouching is like a crouching tiger that likes to look smaller than what it really is. In other words, the picture here is Cain. If you're not careful, you might think that you have your anger under control, but it's about to pounce on you and control you. You see that with Jonah here. God says to Cain, actually a little bit later in that verse, he says, it's desire, talking about your sinful anger, it's desire is contrary to you. So we can actually see this with Jonah in any of our ungodly anger. Ungodly anger due to ungodly jealousy is literally contradicting who we are. And it will destroy us. Especially... Especially over the fact with Cain and Jonah, especially the anger that we have whenever God shows grace to people that we don't want him to show grace to. That's what's happening with Jonah. It's the anger he feels. And then Jonah prays. Look at verse 2. As I read this, think about how, how different of a prayer this was from Jonah chapter 2. He prayed to the Lord and, and he said... and. Now, notice how I read it earlier. Uh, one of my pet peeves is whenever people will read this and say, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Have you ever heard someone angry? Oh Lord? You hear the sarcasm in there. Isn't this what I said when I was in my country? I knew you were a gracious and compassionate God. It's just he's seething with anger. It's so different than what he was like in chapter 2 when he was so thankful for God's grace. It's interesting that when he says, is this not what I said when I was yet in my own country, it literally in the Hebrew there is saying, is this not my word? Now that's very interesting. You want to know why? Because earlier, God, it says in the very, book, very beginning of Jonah, that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, but now it's Jonah's word that's going to be his authority. It's almost like Jonah saying this, God, your word says that you can show grace to whomever you want because no one deserves your grace, but my word is different, and I prefer my word over yours. But you also see here how he excuses his sin, right? He's saying, 
Well, because I knew you as this. That's the whole reason why I ran away. And like Adam and Eve, we too, we love to play the blame game. We love to be the victim because we don't want people to say, yeah, you have actually sinned. And that's why we're constantly pointing the finger at other people rather than actually saying, yes, I am the man. I am the woman who has sinned. We're we're not very different from Jonah. Jonah, you see here, he despises God's grace. So he's saying, that's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish for, so here's, here's the reason for his running away, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I love that it says, when Jonah says, for I knew that you are gracious, because really you see there, you knew about it, but you didn't know it. It's one thing to know about it. It's the whole other thing to know it. Jonah hates God's grace. When it says that God is gracious, it means that God pardons all sins. It means that he bestows enduring favor upon you. When it says that he's merciful, it means that he's so willing to show favor towards you. It's actually a word of of tenderness, of like a a, a mother for her children. Actually, this word for merciful, it comes from the Hebrew word that can also be for womb. In other words, it's the picture of a mother having such tender care uh, of her child. It says that he's slow to anger. Literally, once again, this is where the Hebrew is really cool. Literally, it means that God is long of nose. That doesn't sound very attractive. But what does that mean? Well, in Hebrew, it was this picture, it was the opposite of having a short nose, and a pig with a short snout would be quick to anger. But God is long of nose, meaning he's patient. It says that he's abounding in steadfast love. As one person says, he's full of covenant commitment. He's great in loyal love. In other words, God is dependable. It's literally the opposite picture of saying God's stingy with his grace. God is like the samples at Costco with his grace. He's just begging you to come in saying, come and partake. Then it says he's relenting from disaster, meaning he is someone who changes his course of action at repentance. Jonah doesn't like that about God. Actually, this is a theme in Scripture that I think is really going to help us understand this. There's this theme that's happening here, actually, through different books of the Bible. It's this theme of this, that there's idolatry, and idolatry is always this. It means God's people, whenever they have idols, they're living like the nations. They're living like the other countries, the other peoples who worship other gods. So there's idolatry. There's God declaring his grace for sinners. There's the call for repentance. But then there's also God's gracious presence for those who repent. So there's four different things. Idolatry, God's grace, repentance, and his presence. Watch this. When Jonah is saying, For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, He is quoting something from Exodus 34. You might have a footnote in your Bible for that. In Exodus 34, you had, uh, it's really, the, the, the context there is Exodus 32, where Israel had made a golden calf, idolatry. 
They were not to make a golden calf because the nations, the other Gentiles, they worshipped other gods, but Israel would worship Yahweh. So there was idolatry. But then God says, I will be gracious to my people. And in Exodus 34, 6 through 7, God, he goes by Moses and he proclaims his glory saying, the Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That, that moment on Exodus 34 on Mount Sinai, it was such a pivotal moment in the history of Israel that it became a creed. It, it was something that the people of Israel said, this is what we believe about who God is. So it would be like us saying this, God, I'm angry at you because I know, if I can find it in my notes, yes, here we go, I, I knew you were, quoting the Apostles' Creed, I knew you were God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Jonah's mad about actually this truth, this creed that's been passed down to him through the years. God's declaring his grace to his people. But then you also see in the context of Exodus 32 to 34, you actually see Moses make new tablets for the Ten Commandments. And you see the people receive them, which marks at least partly their repentance. We know actually because they kept persisting in their own idolatry and unbelief that then they were in the wilderness for 40 uh, years. Nevertheless, even in Exodus 34, God says, I will still be with you. So in Exodus 32 to 34, what do you see? Idolatry, God's grace, repentance, and presence. What do you see in the book of Jonah? Here's what's really interesting. Remember, in Jonah's context, uh, I, I know this might be a little bit intellectual right now, but I'm going to show you how it all comes full, full circle. Israel had separated in ten tribes to the north and two tribes to the south. The ten tribes to the north was Israel. The two tribes to the south was Judah. When they separated, King Jeroboam, whenever you see a Jeroboam in scripture, just think not good. Here's what's actually really interesting. Do you know what happened when King Jeroboam split off uh, the ten tribes? He made golden calves. And put them on their high places. Idolatry. But then you also, obviously, with Nineveh, we know they worship numerous gods. So then, once again, here in this context, you know that there is idolatry. But then you see God's grace. God's grace for the people of Israel was that God had sent Jonah to be a prophet to proclaim his word. But then you also see God's grace for Nineveh because God is proclaiming his word through Jonah. But then you see repentance here. Nineveh repents, right? Here's the question. Has Israel repented? No. God, he spares Nineveh, at least for a generation. And those individuals who would have believed, they would have received the Holy Spirit, God's presence. But see, Israel had God's presence. They had the word, they had the prophets, but yet if they did not repent, God would take it away. So in other words, here's what you see here. Is that the people of Nineveh are acting more like true Israel, and Israel is acting more like true Nineveh. You see that, right? Here's what's really interesting. 
This thing goes on in Scripture. In Joel chapter 2, Joel was a prophet in Judah, the southern tribes, and uh, he was reflecting on how the northern tribes at that time, they had received a plague of locusts. That does not sound fun, but also, too, locusts was a plague in the book of Exodus upon the people of Egypt. And it was all about God's wrath upon people who didn't repent. What had happened historically is that the people of Israel, even after Jonah, they did not repent. God sent a plague and then carried them off into exile. And now Joel is telling the people of Judah, the southern tribes who have remained, he is saying, do you see what happened? Do you see their idolatry? You need to repent. You need to embrace God's grace because if you don't, you also will be carried off and away from God's presence. You see that theme, idolatry, God's grace, repentance, and his presence. Here's also what's really fascinating. Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, it was this massive event called Pentecost. And at Pentecost, the nations, many, many people were in Jerusalem. Remember, nations are idolatrous people. But then where's God's grace in Acts chapter 2? Well, Peter stands up to proclaim that Jesus is the one who is sent by God. He is God himself. And on the cross, he purchased salvation for God's people. They hear the sermon, and at the end of Acts 2, they look at Peter. Do you remember what they asked Peter? They said, what shall we do? Do you know what Peter says in response? Repent. Idolatry, God's grace, repentance. The question is this, where's God's presence? Well, he says, I love it, yes, come on, you're getting a spoiler alert over here if y'all saw that. What happened actually is that at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down upon God's people. And when Jonah's, I mean, excuse me, when Peter says repent, and be baptized, he is saying this, that your baptism symbolizes the Holy Spirit coming upon you when you're a believer. Okay, that's a lot. Okay, idolatry, God's grace, repentance, and presence. You follow me here? Can I get some nodding heads? Okay. Let me show you how this connects to us, how we can be so angry at God's grace. What God is implying to Jonah here is this. God is telling Jonah, and therefore Israel, that you have just as sinful of a heart as Nineveh. And there is nothing in you that deserves the grace of God. God's telling Jonah, you also are idolatrous. God's telling Jonah, my grace goes to whomever I want. No one can earn it because the moment you earn grace, it is no longer grace. God's also telling Jonah, you seeing Nineveh repent should warn you saying you must repent or else. The sermon that you preach to Nineveh, Jonah, you better sit under that same sermon. But then it's also about God's presence because as Nineveh would later go back on their repentance and God would uh, end up destroying them, so the people of Israel, if they did not repent, God would remove his presence. 
You see, and we get angry at God's grace in those same ways. We hate being told that we have idolatrous hearts. An idolatrous heart is anything that says this. That I will believe in Jesus, but I also want this. Jesus plus this. We can often tell people, Jesus is great, but you also need to conform to this worldly ideology. Jesus is great, but I'm also going to favor my own ethnicity above others. Jesus is great, but I also need to make sure I'm respected in this field. Jesus is great, but I also need control over my life. Or I need to keep people's admiration of me. Or I need to make sure I can keep the world happy with me. Or I, I, Jesus is great, but I can keep my own sexual desires and my sexual identity. Jesus is great, but I also better make sure I'm a successful parent. Or I also better make sure I have material comfort. What is your Jesus plus? Because the reality of this text is that God's telling us, even people who come to church on Sunday, that we have just as idolatrous of a heart as anyone else who's not here. Matthew 7, verses 4 through 5 says this, Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We often look at other people and say, you're the ones who are, who are idolatrous, and God is saying, you got three fingers pointing back at you. We get angry at God's grace. We hate it, frankly, when other people receive the same grace of God as we do. That's why we want others to get God's law rather than his grace. That's why today we prefer cancel culture over forgiveness. That's why we love to heap up guilt on other people to endlessly shame them or even shame ourselves because we like law more than grace. We don't like this quote by Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker who say this, so when a person comes to faith in Christ, not only are their sins forgiven by God, but he obliterates them. He wipes them out. He erases them to never again be remembered against them. Amen? But we don't like that. Because we love to make people say, now don't you forget what you did. Don't you forget who their ancestors were. Don't you forget what they used to do on the weekends. We love to give in to popular ideas and theories because we love to turn grace into law. We want to tell others to go and do X, Y, and Z before they can rest in Jesus. PCA pastor named Aldo Leon has this quote, trying to maintain a biblical worldview of the church and also a secular worldview of the world will always lead to a secular view of everything. My friends, the gospel's telling us this. That either the Bible is your worldview for everything or for nothing. Because eventually, if it's not your worldview for everything, then your worldview for whatever else it is will creep into how you view Christianity. So the question is that, 
then why are we even entertaining other theories or ideas or something else as some sort of an analytical tool or whatever it might be when we have the Bible? The question is this. Did Jesus, did anything happen on the cross? Or was it just, that was a good example. Now you need to make sure you live a good life and God will show favor to you. Did anything happen on the cross? What did Jesus mean when he said, it is finished? What is finished? He received the wrath of God so that we might receive his grace and mercy. Amen? The conditions of being saved and being loved by God, it's free. It is gracious. You can't do anything to deserve it. That is why grace is scandalous and it's offensive. Because anyone can receive it. Amen? It doesn't matter what background someone has. It doesn't matter who their ancestors are. It doesn't matter what life they've been living. Jesus calls all people, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of what's happened in your life, and he says, come to me. Are you heavy laden? Are you burdened? I can give you rest. I can give you rest. And my friends, if we can come to Jesus with everything that is so messed up about our lives, and if we can find free mercy in him, if we can find full forgiveness in him, then shouldn't we treat each other that way? Shouldn't we be in the business of helping to relieve burdens rather than putting them on? We don't like God's grace. We also don't like it when God tells us to repent. I mean, <laughs> that tells us, you're wrong. <laughs> we don't like that. That's why Jesus wasn't popular to either the oppressed Jews or to the oppressors of the Romans. Because he told every one of them, repent. I know there's a lot going on. You repent or else you won't be saved. Jesus is telling us to see the filthiness of our sin, our own sin. Let, let, let him deal with other people. You see the filthiness of your sin. You see the danger of your sin. And grab hold of the mercy that's in him. Grieve for your own sin. And look to him to determine to walk in his ways. And we hate it when God gives his presence to people who are different than us. Especially if they continue to struggle with the same sin. You see, this is what's hard about, I'm just going to be honest, this is what's hard about preaching. Because I, I, I can, if we're honest, we, we, we can sense that there's tension here. We don't like this. But here's the thing. The question that God asks here, right here, do you do well to be angry? He's saying to me and to you. It's not just a historical moment that you just leave back then and there and say, this is great. Now give me ten principles where my life might be comfortable. God is really challenging us here, saying, do you do well to be angry at my grace? It cuts deep. And that anger affects us. That's what we see with Jonah. How does our anger against God's grace affect us? Well, we see it with here with Jonah. He says he's angry. It's the same word that's used for Moses being angry over the people of Israel making the golden calf. So once again, see, see how different Jonah is. Moses was angry because 
his people had made a golden calf and had broken God's law. Jonah's angry because idolatrous people repented. It's actually the same word used for God's anger against the people of Israel for making the golden calf. But now Jonah is saying, God, I'm angry at you because what you did to save them by grace, you're not good. Our idols turn us into what is dead. You know, from the voyage of the dawn treader, the great illustration of Eustace who falls asleep on a dead dragon's hoard of gold and he finds himself transformed into a dragon. I love this, by greedy, dragonish thoughts in his heart. My friends, our idols turn us into what they are and our idols are dead. Love actually a conference me and Andrew Moore were at this past uh, uh, Friday. Uh, G.K. Beale uh, is one of the main speakers there, and he wrote a book, We Are What We Worship. We become what we worship. Do we worship the living God or dead idols? See, what, what's happening here with Jonah is that his anger is literally making him ungodly. Don't you see why we have to embrace the gospel of grace? That, that, that's why we're making that the mission statement. You need to embrace the gospel of grace. And it's difficult. It's so difficult, but we must constantly keep coming back to that. Because that's what makes us godly. You see, anything that we, anything that we tolerate that waters down God's grace, or contradicts God's grace, or negates God's grace, it goes against how we were made, and it makes us ungodly. That's why we need to embrace his grace as it is, and even how scandalous as it is. You see, the same mercy and compassion that Jonah experienced in the fish, God's now giving that same mercy and compassion to Nineveh. And at first, Jonah was like, God, you're awesome. And now he's like, God, you're terrible. Let me just say this, it happens in my own heart all the time. We, we, we say we believe in God's grace, but then let's just wait and see what happens whenever someone else also receives that same grace. Someone who we wish would not receive it. The tailgater who is passing us and we hope the cops pull him over. Maybe it is the lifelong racist. Maybe it is the thief. Maybe it is someone who had an affair. Maybe it is the alcoholic or the person who has been addicted to pornography that's ruined their marriage and family. Maybe it is someone who has lived a life uh, endorsing and helping the human slave trade that is actually happening today. Maybe it's a prostitute. Maybe it's someone who has transitioned to be a transgender. Maybe it's someone who has abandoned their kids, or maybe it's someone who's had numerous abortions, or maybe, frankly, it's just someone who is so self-righteous and rude their whole life, but then they come to Jesus and they receive his grace. That, I'm telling you, will challenge us. But God is telling all of us in here, I am merciful, I am compassionate, I am slow to anger, Abounding in steadfast love. And when we believe that grace, 
it will make us godly. And it will actually make us love others rather than just boil in the heat of our anger. Jonah's idols are very exposed here. His idols of ethnicity, it's very clear there. His idol of comfort, his idol of respect, his idol of popularity, his idol of success, self-glory and achievement, all these things. God is, he's putting the finger on the pulse and my friends, that is not comfortable. What's happened here with Jonah is that his anger has actually resulted and actually what a lot of biblical counselors point out is that it has resulted into a legit depression. It's actually very interesting is that uh, his anger is actually a massive ingredient to his depression. It's often what is a massive ingredient for our depression as well. Now to be sure, let me, let me very much make sure I say this. If you're struggling with depression or with suicidal thoughts, please do not try to do this on your own. That's exactly the type of mindset we can have whenever we're struggling with that. Please come speak. Please come talk with someone. Because we need each other. Some of the most transformative things that have happened in my life was whenever I was in a very bad season of depression and I had men calling me to come meet with them and it was life-changing. So to be sure, please, let me make sure I put that there. But it also, particularly for Jonah here, that's what I want to look just his particular case, that even amidst his despair and his anger, he still needs to be told to repent. What we see here is that for Jonah, his depression is a fruit, not the root. The anger in his idolatry is the root. The depression is the fruit. And God's going to deal with the root. And it's often what happens in our anger against God's grace to other people is that it can drive us into great despair. Now, on the other hand, we can't say this. You can't say depression itself is a sin because when you look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was going through stuff. So you've got to be very careful saying that. But what we are saying is that sin is often what influences depression. The question for Jonah is, is it really better for Jonah to die than to see God's grace transform people? When, when God says, do you do well to be angry, one person says, it could also be translated, is your anger justifiable? God's saying, give me a legitimate reason why you should be angry for my grace going to Nineveh. You see, when we're angry against God's grace, it destroys us and it destroys others. That's why actually what James chapter 4 says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you, is it not this, that your passions are at war with you? Talking about you as in y'all, you know, he, he was a southerner, right? Y'all, you desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. 
You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people, that, that's idolatry language there. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. What you see here in the book of James is a massive theme there, is that their idols are making them angry towards other people. And there's division, and there's fights, and there's quarrels. And that's what will happen with us. It will happen with us unless we embrace his grace. Amen? Now, <laughs> I know that's hard. And I, I understand, and I would love to talk with you more, that I might be stepping on some toes. But I'm only trying to exposit to you what Scripture is saying. But let's see how God responds to Jonah's anger. Look at verse 4. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? I mentioned earlier that someone says, it's, you can also say, give me a justification for why you were so angry at my grace. This is actually a very valid question. Why does God not take Jonah's life? The wages of sin is death, right? But don't miss this. In verse 4 it says, and God said, right? Is that what it says? Look at the scripture. What does it say? And the Lord. Do you see how it's spelled? All caps. That's God's covenant name. It's the same name that in Exodus 34, amidst God's people making a golden calf, and when he passes by Moses, do you know what God says twice to Moses? He says, the Lord, the Lord, in that same spelling, meaning Yahweh, Yahweh. Don't miss this. Jonah is just like the people in Israel in Exodus when they made a golden calf. And Yahweh is having mercy on Jonah. Amen? The same gracious God is committed to stay faithful to Jonah. And I don't know about you, but I could not do that. He's slow to anger when we're very quick to anger. <laughs> Here's what we can do. We can often become self-righteous towards the people who are self-righteous, can't we? But God does not do that. Rather, God takes his anger and pours it out on his son so that we might receive his grace. Amen? It's amazing. It's, it's, it's amazing. I, I was, when we were at, we were at Pete, Pete Hatton's coming tonight, we were staying at his house uh, for this conference in Dallas. And what was really funny is that me and Andrew were sitting in these chairs and they had this sweet big dog. But this dog just kept coming up to you and just pawing you. And every time you'd stop petting it, it'd just paw you again. And you're like, dude, like, leave me alone. I love you and all. We are so trigger happy to be angry, but God's not. He's long of nose. He asked Jonah, does this do you good? This word for well there, it's the Hebrew word for tov, which is actually the same word that when God created all things, he says, and it was good. In other words, this, Jonah, is this doing good to you? It's an implied answer. No. God's not curious about what Jonah really thinks. He's drawing Jonah out of himself. And he's saying, think about what's happening. 
What would do good for Jonah? What would do good for us? It would be this. If anger against God's grace is contrary to us, then embracing God's grace is good for us. Amen? Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Are we tempted to be ashamed of the gospel of grace? That's the question. Jonah was very tempted to be ashamed. If we're honest, it's very tempting to be ashamed of it. But it's God's power. And it is God's power for anyone. No matter what has happened in their life. It is God's power for you and me to save us for all the stages of the Christian life. Amen? The goal is not to move beyond the gospel. The goal is to press further into the gospel. So the question that we actually need to come back to is this. Does God's grace make you angry? There's a German village. It's called, I don't even, if you speak German, please come correct me. Uh, Fugere. That's probably the Alabama pronunciation, but there you go. Fugere. Here's what's interesting. The rent for the houses there, or apartments there, has not risen since 1520. I think Luther made a, I don't know, who knows? Uh, 1520, that's not bad. Do you know how much it costs to live there for an entire year? One dollar. Now, that would be amazing if that was in Stillwater for college students, right? Amen? Rent hasn't changed for... 500 years. Here's the thing about God's grace. The fee never changes. And it's free. And it doesn't matter who applies for it. It doesn't matter what's happened. It doesn't matter any other worldview that you've had or any other life that you've, that you've had or what sins that you're even struggling with now. It doesn't matter. It's free. And it's free for you to cleanse you of all your sins. Isn't that amazing? So hard to believe. But that's what we need to press into. So won't you believe in Jesus this morning? Won't you embrace his free grace? Don't continue to stay angry at him. That's what the supper is going to show us. That God is gracious towards his people. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would help us to repent of our anger towards your grace and that we would that we would take you as you are. For Lord, we know that we know that your grace is good. And oh, I know many of us in here are dying to know that it's true for us. So would you assure us of that? Lead us now to your table. We ask all this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.